Saturday Night Gaming presents Valos Recap Dawn of the Dark Star and Dark Star Rising The Year 985 After World Storm 300 years after the last lunar convergence and the fall of the Black Dragon another lunar solstice was occurring Dr. Thaddeus Miles Stein had been studying the lunar convergence cycles from a faraway realm. Using this opportunity to travel between the realms, he arrived in Valos determined to discover all he could about this society and integrate himself and his technology into it. Dr. Stein met with the then-sitting tribunal that governed the most advanced civilization on Valos. Each member of the tribunal was a descendant of Thulgrim the Mighty. One member of the tribunal, Commandant Xavier Dani, leader of the Elorian military, took a great interest in Stein's technology and formed a pact with the outworld scientist. Thus began an era of military might and technological advancement unlike any Velos had ever seen. In the decades that followed, Stein cultivated and recruited the brightest scientists and engineers, each top-scoring graduates at the Stein Technical Institute. Professor of Archaeology Eric Runström came to the good doctor with a research proposal and a request for funding. He wanted to seek out ancient items that had been called lost to history. The leading minds in academia believed that these items were a metaphor and mythology. But Runestrom had discovered that ancient journals of a war-bound era CRS and was convinced that these items were not just a myth, but historical. He was determined to find evidence of their existence and prove himself to the scholarly community. Stein was intrigued by the journals and by the objects of power described therein. These ancient artifacts, if they were found, had the potential to greatly advance his research. Stein convinced Xavier to fund Professor Runström's first excavation site, deep in the heart of the Desert of Drac, and to send the best Alorian soldiers to protect the dig site from the native Draken war tribes. Years later, 1110 after World Storm, the journals proved difficult to decipher, but after years of research and many misinterpretations of the CRS's visions, Runström's efforts were finally rewarded. The location of the Black Dragon's skull was found and the massive bones emerged grain by grain. Caught between two of its teeth was a small, intricate compass decorated with an onyx shard. As the rest of the skull was unearthed, Runström felt his excitement rise. Just as the journals described, the weapon that felled the mighty Drac, the Iratus blade, was still embedded in Drac's enormous skull. With these items in hand, Eric Runström returned to Stein. The implications of this discovery had the potential to change Valos forever. If the writings of the CRS, Elena, were correct about the location of the ancient Claymore, then they should also be correct about the rest of the artifacts. Perhaps even the mysterious aquatics of visions carried by the legendary time traveler, John the Red. And if the journals were correct about these artifacts, then perhaps they would even be correct about the existence of other realms. 
Dr. Stein also saw the potential in the discovery. The blade itself registered enough energy to power all of Aloria, but the energy signature was one neither Stein nor Runestrom had ever studied before. Together, the two of them began working to convert the energy into a nearly unlimited power source for a project already under construction, the most technologically advanced marvel of Alorian society, the Solaris Sky Station. Runestrom knew that if they could harness this energy, they could explore the realms described in the journals that had guided his life. The year, 1123 after World Storm, Dr. Thaddeus Miles Stein and Professor Eric Runestrom were reported deceased in the explosion of the Solaris Sky Station. The official story was a catastrophic equipment malfunction, but Commandant Xavier knew what had really happened. Commander Arthur Strathmore was to blame for this. Strathmore had been assigned to the station to keep him from getting into more trouble on the ground, but it seemed up there he could do even more damage. Dawn of the Dark Star, Part 1 Exactly two months after the Solaire Sky Station rained molten fire on the desert of Drac, an injured man and a strange young child were found just outside the edge of the small forest known as the Wild. They were taken to the city for immediate medical attention. The man was identified as Arthur J. Strathmore, despite his drastically different appearance. Whatever had happened to him had aged him considerably. When Arthur heard the doctor's call for military liaison, he didn't hesitate to act. With extreme violence, Strathmore fought his way out of the hospital and took his young friend Mark with him. He worked his way back to the last place he could remember clearly, the city of Riverside on the southern peninsula of Great Aloria. Crumbling buildings stood in ruins around a massive crater, and fires burned that would never go out. Instead of a bustling seaport, Arthur Strathmore found a dead city, and it broke his heart. Meanwhile, Commander Clayton Caldwell received orders from Commandant Xavier to deploy his special ops team, the Hurt Squad, to track down Strathmore, who had been branded a terrorist and a traitor. Led by Julian McTavish, codename The Demon, the Hurt Squad flew into Riverside under the cover of night, and witness firsthand the aftermath of the event called the Red Death. They landed their stealth carrier at the edge of the ruined port city. Killian Murdoch, codename Heavy Metal, operated as the team's guardian angel. He was a sniper of the highest renown and a veteran of the Elorian Draken War. He stepped off the craft and melted into the shadows. Just behind him was a much younger operative, Weighted from head to toe in advanced grade armor, he called himself Lock-On and kept his identity concealed beneath a helmet with a full-faced shield. He was an excellent shot as well, and he took to heavy metal as his mentor. The two of them moved with seamless grace and precision. The demon walked out into the open night air and watched as his team began to take their positions. Armored plates began to shift and move across his body encasing him in a lightweight, impenetrable armor. He was an intimidating vision of sleek metal and deadly intent. Just behind the field commander was a much smaller man with a gentle face. 
Cybernetic enhancements adorned his forehead and the base of his neck, and he wore lightweight armor and a dirty old military jacket. They called him Wayfinder Mune, and he never left the demon's side. The last member of the Hurt Squad, Dr. Raphael Greger, codename The Watcher, exited the jump craft. A large pair of mechanical wings expanded from his back and glimmered in the light of Valos's three moons. He appeared as an armored angel, and he was the Elorian military's best aerial combatant. Each member of the Hurt Squad knew their tasks, and the group split up silently, maneuvering into the crumbling ruins of Riverside. The demon and Wayfinder kept to the alleys and searched for any signs of Strathmore. They both knew him well. He was once the commander of the Hurt Squad. There were mixed feelings on this subject, but their orders were clear. They were to retrieve him alive, to answer for his crimes against the Elorian nation. The two of them came across a strange young boy who ran through the alleys dirty and alone. After questioning him, they discovered that his name was Mark and that he didn't believe himself to be from this world. He claimed to be friends with Strathmore and insisted that Strathmore had instructed him to watch over a very large sword for him. The boy's ramblings sounded like lunacy to Wayfinder, but they had to chase down every lead they could find. In the shadows of the rooftops behind them, a man moved silently through the night. He kept a vigilant eye on these strangers in his city. Cybernetic enhancements replaced the majority of his humanity he once valued. Griffin Hayes, also known as Cobalt, was as much an alien to these lands as the child Mark claimed to be. But being here for so long, this was his home now. He tailed the Hurt Squad until they reached one of the only warehouses still standing amongst the crumbling buildings. Cobalt rushed to radio his allies inside that warehouse. The Riverside Remnants were a group of rebels that stood vehemently opposed to the formation of an Elorian Empire. The destruction of Riverside, the Red Death, had invigorated their cause even further. The Riverside Remnants and the Hurt Squad met on the derelict streets in the shadow of the warehouse. Cobalt knew the rebel leader wanted to question them, but the presence of Elorian military outside his home made his blood boil. He located the squad's field commander and attacked. Nemesis could question them later, if she wanted to, if any of them survived. As Cobalt and the demon fought, Wayfinder Mune used his very special mind's eye augmentation that allowed him to perceive the minds of others. Through the memories of the combatants, he saw the terrible truth of the Red Death. Through the demon's memories, Wayfinder saw and felt a series of images. Julian McTavish had been ordered to exterminate the rebels in Riverside. Commandant Xavier issued this order, and Dr. Stein augmented McTavish's body with the technology powerful enough to destroy a city. Wayfinder watched in horror as McTavish used this experimental Stein tech to unleash a massive energy blast on Riverside Port City. He felt Julian McTavish's corruption and pride as the augmented soldier saw the bustling, lively town consumed by destructive energy and undying flames. 
Thus, the demon was born. Heart-pounding with this realization about his commanding officer, Wayfinder turned his mind's eye augmentation on the rebel, Cobalt. In his mind, he saw a man sitting in a small apartment smoking a cigarette. Griffin Hayes waited for his wife, Tifa Lee, to return from running errands. Wayfinder watched as Griffin answered a call from her, and he felt the love and respect that this couple held for each other. Griffin Hayes sank to his knees, his wife's screams echoing in his ears as the city was consumed by the Red Death. He stumbled to the window to see an angry energy wave wiping away everything he had grown to love. A small Elorian military jump craft was the last thing he saw before he was blinded by the lights. Wayfinder Mune started to break free of the mind's eye augmentation. He needed to catch his breath and process everything he had just seen. Just as he tried to disconnect from Cobalt's mind, the demon dealt Griffin Hayes a near-fatal blow. The incident locked Cobalt's memories within Wayfinder's mind. As Cobalt collapsed, his brother Maxis let out a roar of rage and rushed forward in a large frame refurbished Elorian military battle mech suit. He unleashed a volley of missiles that left the demon injured on the ground and then carefully pulled his brother's body back to safety. The Watcher took advantage of this distraction and he lifted the injured field commander into the air to rush him back to the Elorian city for immediate medical attention. Heavy Metal took control and ordered the rest of the team to their jump craft. He discovered that their ship had been rigged with explosives, and he worked in a mad craze to bypass the trap. He managed to save them, but at the cost of their navigation systems. The craft roared away from the battle and carried them off target toward the massive desert of Drac. As Wayfinder struggled with his new knowledge and memories, the Hurt Squad crash-landed into one of the most dangerous lands in all of Valos. Heavy Metal, Wayfinder, and Lock-On camped out for the night in the wreckage of their jump craft, knowing it would be less dangerous to travel by daylight. When they woke, they could see that they had landed right where the desert met the wild. It was well known that the wild forest harbored an angry energy, and that travelers who ventured beneath its branches did not return. The Hurt Squad were the most efficient soldiers in all of Aloria, but they weren't crazy enough to venture into the vengeful forest, even if it was the fastest way home. Wayfinder mapped out a path to travel south around the wild and then head back up toward the safety of the Alorian walls. They walked through the blazing heat of the desert and even managed to defeat a large sand serpent that attacked them. Just when they thought they were safe again, their small crew was circled by a scouting party from the Draken War Tribe. The large barbaric reptilians had been at war with Aloria for a long time. This group easily outnumbered the crew. Meanwhile, in Aloria City, Julian McTavish woke in one of the Watcher's med labs. His body had been mended and his cybernetics repaired. Commandant Xavier and the young commander Clayton Caldwell reviewed his situation reports. The demon learned that the jump jet tracker had gone silent on the edge of the desert, just outside the wild. McTavish was outfitted with an experimental heavy assault fight armor 
and ordered to locate his missing team and find Arthur Strathmore. Xavier didn't accept failure, and he wanted the impulsive traitor brought back to him for a thorough debriefing. The demon knew he couldn't return without something to appease the angry Donny. The demon flew across the desert, tracking the hurt squad's signal, and arrived to see them greatly outnumbered by the hordes of Draken. The demon immediately retaliated, giving in to his own hatred of the barbaric reptiles. On the sands of the desert of Drac, Julian McTavish faced the Draken chieftain, and the two of them did all they could to tear each other to shreds. Despite the ruthless efficiency of the Hurt Squad and their psychotic leader, they were simply outnumbered. The Demon, Heavy Metal, Wayfinder Mune, and Lock-On were imprisoned in a cell within the Draken's underground dwellings. They were being kept alive for some reason, and they needed to find out why. The Demon demanded an audience with the Reptilian Chieftain, Lord Bloodrage. The Hurt Squad were escorted to the Chieftain's throne room by a deadly Reptilian warrior. Blood Rage was known for his sadistic brutality, and he took pleasure in beating each of them. The Steintech programming that made up more than half of the demon's body and left him slightly imbalanced and deranged. And Blood Rage enjoyed watching the human slowly lose his mind and turn on his own people. Their screams fueled his pleasure. Wayfinder Mune had had enough. His own sense of honor, the truth he had seen in the demon's mind, and the terrible memories left to him by Cobalt turned him against his former commander. The two men fought with all they had, each intending to kill the other, until the Draken grew bored and returned them to their shackles. Blood Rage laughed and told them they would be a sufficient sacrifice to the Black Dragon, Drac. He planned to use their spilled blood to summon the Draken's dark god back from the dead. The next day, the Hurt Squad was dragged through the ruins of the fallen city of Valkoria. The unforgiving sands had swallowed much of the ancient city, but the Draken had uncovered a large gladiatorial pit and named it the Blood Pit. The squad was presented before Blood Rage, along with a large group of civilians and scientists who had escaped the Solaris Sky Station incident in short-range life support pods. Heavy Metal, Lock-On, and Wayfinder moved to protect the innocent Lorians as the Draken began their slaughter. The blood of the dead began pooling in the pit, soaking into the sands in a strange pattern. The demon rushed to attack Blood Rage, lost in his own vendetta. As they fought, Blood Rage revealed an onyx crystalline shard that he had taken from the Solaris Sky Station life support pod. The powerful chieftain fought relentlessly, to drive it into the blood-soaked sand. In a last-ditch effort to gain his vengeance, the demon activated his self-destruct protocol and ran towards the Draken chieftain. As the Hurt Squad escaped the blood pit, they turned back to see a growing crimson-colored energy. The demon unleashed another explosion identical to the Red Death that had leveled the riverside port city. This time, the massive destruction claimed his life. Slowly and silently, the dust and sand of the Desert of Drac settled, leaving no trace of the ruins of Alcoria or of the Draken war tribe. The rank of command fell to heavy metal, and for days the veteran sharpshooter led the remains of the Hurt Squad and the Elorian survivors 
around the border of the wild forests. An unnatural storm raged behind them like a wild dog snipping at their heels. Wayfinder Mune befriended a woman from the group of survivors named Dr. Kayla McKenzie. She did her best to help Wayfinder tend to his teammate, Lock-On, who had been severely damaged while protecting the civilians in the blood pit. Over time, Dr. McKenzie revealed that she had salvaged the core AI of the Solaris Sky Station, saving it to a backup drive before escaping the doomed station. Wayfinder used another of his unique augmentations to sink his mind to the device. Through this action, he learned that he could save his cybernetic ally's life by downloading the AI drive into Lock-On's body. As the AI, Solaris, began to sync with Lock-On's cybernetic enhancements, the true identity of the mysterious sniper was revealed. Long ago, two brothers were found severely injured in the aftermath of a terrorist attack. Julian and Alistair McTavish were rebuilt by Dr. Stein into ruthless killing machines, the demon and Lock-On, until they were almost more augmentation than human. Solaris felt Alistair McTavish's hatred of the Riverside terrorist and his sorrow over his brother's recent death. Solaris offered the grieving man the means to exact his vengeance, a neural fusion bond. This link evolved Alistair's body and upgraded his cybernetics, granting him limitless knowledge at a high cost. The two became one. They were Solaris. Wayfinder Mune watched with a growing concern as his teammate was remade, his cybernetics shifting and evolving, almost alive. They formatted his body into a sleek armored automaton. Wayfinder questioned if he had done the right thing, but knew that it was too late now. Heavy metal signaled to the group. It was growing dark, and the storm was still raging. He had found an entrance to the old Stein Tech facility hidden in the desert floor. He guided them into the old facility, unaware that they were being tracked. Lothan, of the Mito tribe, the lone survivor of the explosion at the blood pit, followed them closely. He moved quickly but silently, his reptilian skin shifting color to mimic the environment. He had been injured in the explosion, and his burns and missing tail were still raw. He snuck into the facility, seeking vengeance for the deaths of his people but he was immediately met by Solaris. The two fought until Wayfinder Mune, in his ever-calm voice, managed to reason with them. Lothan agreed to travel with them long enough to find the one truly responsible for creating the demon. Deep under the desert sands, the squad made their way through the Steintech facility, finally locating a power supply junction box. As they powered up the abandoned facility, the lights overhead flickered on, and a large machine in the center of the room began to beep. The installation AI announced that the Everman protocols had been restored, and Solaris recognized the device as a cloning chamber. Three pods circled around the machine. As it powered on, clouds of steam were released with a loud hiss, and the lids of two of the pods began to open. The squad immediately took defensive positions every weapon trained on whatever was about to emerge. Dr. Thaddeus Miles Stein and Professor Eric Runstrom, both reportedly killed in the destruction of the Solaris Sky Station, emerged from the chambers. Runstrom claimed 
that he and the doctor had been transported to another realm by the explosion of the sky station. He seemed almost giddy with excitement. He said that because of Arthur Strathmore's attack and sabotage of the station, they were sent to a place called Fiadesh. They would have perished there, but Stein had managed to send out a signal, transmitting their memories back to the Everman machine in one of his secret Stein tech facilities. When the Hurt Squad restored the power to the facility, Stein and Runestrom were able to be downloaded to the waiting clone bodies. Heavy Metal reasoned that they could all be safe in the underground facility until the storm passed. But as the group settled down for the night, the final pod in the Everman chamber hummed to life, and from it emerged a reborn Julian McTavish. He was changed from his death and had fully surrendered to his insanity. Small nanomachines began to gather around the demon and collect on to his body. They formed sleek black plates. As the panels shifted into their final form, an intense red light began to glow from within the armor. Finally, a series of spider-like legs grew from his back and planted firmly into the ground around him. He saw neither friend nor foe, only life that he could extinguish. Solaris rushed to confront the demon, both brothers trapped within living metal, strangers to themselves and to each other. Heavy metal rushed to gather the survivors together and to find a way to escape this place. Stein told him of an experimental teleportation pad that he had built on the lowest level. Lothon the Draken, last of his kind, stayed behind to help Solaris battle the man responsible for the extermination of his people. Together, Solaris and Lothon managed to overpower the demon. Solaris allowed Alistair to say his final goodbye to Julian before he unleashed a fatal plasma blast. The demon was defeated, and Solaris and Lothon hurried to meet with the others in the teleportation room. As the storm outside tore into the facility, Runestrom recognized the energy signature as that of the Dark Shard itself, and it seemed to be moving with sentience destroying the facility with a purpose. Just as the structure began to collapse, Stein managed to activate the telepad and transport them to another of his facilities. Everyone rushed to escape the dark storm, consuming and destroying its surroundings.